This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Welcome, everyone, both everyone in this Zendo and all of you who are joining uh, in your own homes or other places. For those who don't know me, my name is Tova Green. I'm a resident priest at City Center, and I'm very happy and honored to be giving this talk tonight. It's the first Dharma talk we've had in the Zendo, uh, and also the first talk of the new year. So there's something about the energy of new beginnings tonight. Um, And I would say we're still in a transition The last talk in the Buddha Hall was given by Abbot David on the topic of transitions. And since that time, many of us have moved from those of us who lived in this building, have moved up the street. Uh, Many people have moved their offices. Uh, We no longer have a kitchen, so we're not eating our meals together. And there have been many changes for those of us living in this community. So I think uh, it's still a time of transition, getting used to new patterns and new places. And um, finding ways of creating community when we don't eat our meals together and see each other in those informal ways that we... I, I think I took for granted, but I miss them. Uh, I I want to thank a number of people. Uh, first, uh, our you know, our Tanto Timothy Wicks for inviting me to give the talk. Timothy and the practice committee. I want to thank my own teacher, uh, Agent Linda Cutts for her support over many years. I want to thank all of you who are here tonight for uh, coming out and um, bringing your, your presence and, uh, and also for those who are participating on Zoom. And I want to thank everyone who made this uh, possible, this move, uh, it, it took a great deal of planning, um, and I particularly want to thank uh, Dan Gudgel, who uh, has been leading the online Zendo, who spent hours trying to figure out how to live stream from this room and install cameras and these speakers so everyone can hear um, There are too many people to name, but uh, it's pretty miraculous that we've been able to make this shift, I think, fairly gracefully. We're figuring out how to do things in the Zendo, creating a Kaisando, an ancestor's hall on the back of the altar so we could honor Suzuki Roshi. Um, Today is the third. We always have a ceremony the evening of the third and the morning of the fourth. Um, 
and um, yeah, we're still figuring things out. So it's kind of, a, uh, on the one hand, you know, exciting. On the other hand, sometimes um, challenging to get used to so many things that have changed. But also, I want to say, because it's the new year, and uh, there's a, often a feeling in, at the beginning of the year of hope, of expectation, maybe some new th- uh, wishing to um, set intentions for the new year. Uh, and I thought tonight a good theme might be uh, talking about vow. Uh, vow is a little stronger than an intention. Um, I will give a definition of vow, but uh, many people uh, think about the new year and things they want might want to change or uh, introduce into our your life, your practice, um, and it's an opportunity to kind of uh, think about what might be missing in your life, what might be enhanced in your life, um, what is nourishing, what brings joy, and to see how to bring more of those things into our lives. At the same time, you know, right now, uh, the world is a challenging place to live in, and um, how do we also meet that and find ways to bring our practice into the world. Um, so uh, I, I, um, there, there's a way of expressing the bodhisattva vow uh, that I want to explore tonight, and that's to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings. I've, I really love that expression of the Bodhisattva vow. And um, so I'm going to talk about that. But I, I, before uh, embarking on that subject, I want to uh, dedicate my talk tonight to the well-being of uh, one of my mentors and dear friends, Alan Sanaki. Um, many of you, you may know Alan. He's the abbot of Berkeley Zen Center, and uh, for over a week he has been in the ICU uh, at Kaiser in Oakland. Um, he had some complications after a surgery and then had a heart attack while in the hospital, so he's been in critical condition. And um, Alan, uh, I met Alan when I first moved to the Bay Area in 1990 and became involved in the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, uh, partly through meeting Alan uh, at a Buddhist Peace Fellowship conference. And there was something about him that was so um, upright and warm. And I found out he was practicing at Berkeley Zen Center. And I had previously been 
before moving to the Bay Area, mostly going to uh, Vipassana retreats. I lived in Boston, and I went to the Insight Meditation Center in Barrie. And I was looking for a place to practice here. And uh, it was a combination of um, meeting Alan and starting to sit in the mornings at Berkeley Zen Center and also going to Green Gulch Farm on Sundays that um, helped me embark on my Zen journey. And I later worked with Alan at the Buddhist Peace Fellowship and got to know him and his family. So he's very much on my mind these days. Um, Let's see. So... Uh, talking about vow, uh, I'm drawing from uh, two texts that I I um, really appreciated: "Living by Vow" by Shohaku Okamura, and um, a newer book called "The Vow Powered Life." by Jan Chosen Bays, who's a Zen teacher in Oregon. And I'll start with uh, Chosen Bays' uh, dis- description of vow. Uh, uh, just to say, the monastery where Chosen and her husband Hogan Bays teach in Oregon is called Great Vow Monastery. And they named the monastery after... Uh, Jizo Bodhisattva, uh, because Jizo Bodhisattva, who's a protector of children and travelers, um, usually depicted very simply as a monk, uh, Jizo had has had made a vow to uh, save all beings to go into the hell realms to uh, help people who were suffering after their death. And um, so Jesus' great vow is um, what led to Chosen and Hogan naming their monastery great vow. And uh, uh, Chosen says, when you begin to look at life through the lens of vows, you are touched by the dedication of human beings to not only form an aspiration to grow, change, and overcome obstacles, but also by their unselfish effort to dedicate themselves to a larger beneficial purpose, even to an end they will not live to see manifest. So the vow, it's it's a commitment uh, to, well, the Bodhisattva vow um, to live and be lived for the benefit of all beings, to um, dedicate our lives um, to uh, support others, to serve others, to help others, and not forgetting ourselves. But um, it's a very um, strong commitment. And 
I think when you know we st- study the precepts and receive the precepts in a Jukai ceremony and uh, begin to um, really live our lives in that ethical way, we also are committing to the bodhisattva vows. And uh, the uh, vow-powered life uh, is a life that, um, I mean, there, there are vows of all kinds. There are not only the bodhisattva vow, but um, the vow to live and be lived for for all beings is um, um, a vow that comes from a, from a very deep place, from and can be a place we can find in our zazen practice where we realize that we're not separate from all beings, that our lives are intertwined. And then we want to uh, care about our fellow um, beings, and that includes trees, rivers, uh, the earth that we live on. so one expression of this uh, vow uh, is a, a very old expression. It's Ashanti Deva, who is an eighth century um, mystic, uh, lived in India, um, wrote a book called The Way of the Bodhisattva. And I love this expression of the Bodhisattva vow. Um, which I'm going to read to you. May I become doctor and medicine. May I be the nurse for all sick beings in the world until everyone is healed. And during the ages of scarcity, may I change into food and drink. May I become an inexhaustible treasure for those who are poor and destitute. May I be a protector of those without one a guide for all travelers on the way. May I be a bridge, a boat, and a ship for all who wish to cross the waters, a bed for those who wish to rest, and a servant to those in need. Um, So that may sound like perhaps an impossible vow, but I think the bodhisattva vows that we we chant uh, at the end of uh, service every day, uh, they're all impossible. The, the four uh, beings are numberless. I vow to save them, which is another version of living and being lived for the benefit of all beings. Um, beings are... Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. And Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to become it. How do we do those things? Um, 
And I think the uh, invitation is to aspire to, to try to do those things, to be open. Um, to recognizing our, um, well, our interconnectedness, but also then Dharma gates are boundless to uh, see each opportunity, each person we encounter as someone we can learn with, learn from, um, that anything can be a dharmic gate, any particularly, any, any difficulty we may encounter can be a dharmic gate. And um, the uh, impossibility of the vow can be encouraging rather rather than uh, overwhelming. One of the things that uh, Shohaku Okamura talks about in Living by Vow is uh, thinking of Sangha as vow. And I think currently, um, uh, for those of us who are um, part of this Zen Center Sangha, which I think is everyone online as well as here, how to connect as Sangha. Um, Especially, um, I think, for those of us who are residents and have been used to seeing each other informally uh, as well as formally, it's, I think this time of, of transition is one in which we're going to be finding new ways of connecting with each other. Um, certainly in the Zendo, I, so I think we're really fortunate to still have the Zendo during this year and to find different ways of um, being together, uh, not only through um, Zazen and Dharma talks and classes and uh, practice period, but to find ways of in, uh, meeting each other uh, for lunch, taking a walk, uh, finding um, ways we can support one another during this this time. Um, So, um, in terms of uh, Sangha as vow, uh, Shohaku Okamura talks about um, um, 
Dogen Zenji, uh, who discusses the inner attitude we should maintain when we vow to create a sangha or a practice place. When we make a vow to found a temple, a sangha or a monastery, we should not be motivated by human sentiment, but we should strengthen our aspiration for the continuous practice of Buddha Dharma. Our vow, uh, it's interesting because uh, I think what, what he's talking about is that the vow is to uh, devote ourselves to practice and that that is what creates the Sangha. Um, although I think it's also true that things we see as good, useful, and beneficial, well, I think the idea is not just thinking of what's good and beneficial for ourselves as individuals, but what is good and beneficial for one another, for the community, and um, finding ways to uh, care for one another. That practice isn't only for our own uh, well-being and benefit. He said, and quoting Dogen, if each person seeks his or her own happiness and holds his or her own views, opinions, values, and ways of thinking, then there will be conflict. If we practice with other people on the basis of human sentiment, it may work for a while, but eventually it will fail. So our practice should be based not on human sentiment, but on an aspiration for the continuous practice of Buddha Dharma. Um, I think that um, you know we 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 learn and practice how to live with with one another when conflict arises, and I think that again that ability to. Be curious when you disagree with someone to listen, to um, be open to another perspective and not hold rigidly to one's own. I think that also comes from or can be strengthened by uh, creating a sense of spaciousness through our meditation practice. Um, I also wanted to bring up tonight something about um, the importance of our actions. Uh, and I think partly because of um, I visit visiting Alan and um, spending some time with members of his family in the waiting room near the ICU. I've been thinking about the five remembrances. Uh, This is an old teaching of the Buddha and a a translation by Thich Nhat Hanh, um, particularly the the, uh, fourth and fifth um, remembrances. 
So the five remembrances are, I am of the nature to grow old. There's no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There's no way to escape ill health. I am of the nature to die. There's no way to escape death. And all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And lastly, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequences of my actions. My actions are the ground upon which I stand. And I think we're remembered for our actions. Um, And... uh, So living by vows, sometimes it's, it's contrasted to living by karma, living um, by uh, our, our aspirations and also understanding that through our actions we can um, create more positive karma for ourselves and others. Um, I thought I would um, I also I, I would also like to uh, talk about um, how uh, living and being lived for the benefit of all beings, how uh, I've seen uh, some of those acts of generosity uh, in um, in Alan and in other um, teachers and mentors, um, I thought I would um, I would like to you know, just share a couple of uh, of things that I appreciate have appreciated about Alan over the years. I mean, there was one time when his children were young, and uh, they were—they've been residents at Berkeley Zen Center for a very long time. Uh, Alan, his wife Lori, and they have a daughter named Sylvie, who's older, and then their son Alex, uh, is a couple of years younger than Sylvie. And as the children were growing older, they were sharing a room. And Sylvie got to be an age where she really wanted her own room. And Alan um, vacated his study so Sylvie could have her own room. Uh, that always impressed me. So thoughtful and, and, and generous. And then in his work at the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, um, he was someone who 
networked widely. He was involved in an international network of engaged Buddhists, um, traveled a lot, was very uh, um, uh, concerned about uh, the situation for Buddhists in Burma when Aung San Suu Kyi was leading Burma and made several trips to Burma. Um, he started uh, an organization called Clearview, which supports uh, some of the Burmese refugees living in Thailand. Um, he also has, in, had in recent years, been teaching uh, Buddhists in India, many of whom had been um, students of someone named Iyengar, who died. But, uh, most of the students he was teaching in India were from uh, the Dalit class, which is, um, used to be called Untouchables. And um, just really uh, su looking for um, ways he could be of assistance. Um, he was also um, a musician, a, an, a writer, and wonderful photographer. So Alan was, um, was I, I, I caught myself saying was, he still is, um, and hopefully will continue to be of uh, a benefit and uh, to many people in the world. Uh, but I see him as someone who has practiced that bodhisattva vow deeply. Um, so I, I would like to end with a a song. It's a round. I'm not going to teach it to you or ask you to sing it, but I just uh, thought it was relevant to this topic. And then we'll have a little bit of time for comments, questions, if you have any. Um, building bridges between our divisions I reach out to you, will you reach out to me? With all of our voices and all of our visions, friends, we could make such sweet harmony. Um, yeah. So I, I think building bridges between our divisions and uh, working to harmonize with one another is another way of manifesting the bodhisattva vow. So thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.